I think everybody has this idea about war and how it should be. And it's like, until you get on that front line and bullets start whizzing past you, then things change real quick. And then it's like, okay, we're, we're getting out of here. They're not. Eddie, man, thank you again so much for being here. When I got first introduced to you, you know, you have a, a book on your story as well, and you've had a lot of attention for your history and whatnot, but I'm, I'm definitely fascinated in the angle of being a Navy SEAL, and especially as someone of your caliber and your accolades and the time that you put in, you've, you've seen a lot, to say the least, and I'm sure you've experienced a lot, and I'm always fascinated in the, the mentality of a Navy SEAL or anyone that goes to war. If you don't mind me jumping right into it, because I haven't spoke to a lot of people that have gone through what you've gone through. Do you remember the, your your first confirmed kill? Yeah, I remember, yeah, the first dude I shot. Um, it was, I don't remember the exact date. I mean, it was probably in the beginning of the war. And it was in Mosul. And so, yeah, it was a little firefight we were in. And yeah, I just remember putting the uh, crosshairs on a dude, pulling the trigger and watching him um, go down. Um, so it was, that was the first of many. <laughs> and I was very, I think I was like around 20 at the time. When you say there's, there's many, uh, that kind of leads to another question. I thought is, is there any, is there a point when, you know, you've, you've been around it so many times that you just get, is it just desensitized? Oh, for sure. That's, uh, I mean, that's one thing I think the past 20 years of war, has done for a lot of, uh, you know, not just me, but for a lot of service members that have deployed constantly over there, um, either to Iraq, Afghanistan, or different regions, Africa, Yemen, and they've had to fight terrorism or evil. You're there taking evil off this earth. And I'm not going to speak for everybody in blanket statement, but I think for me, at least, yeah, you do become desensitized to it. Um, You become less less empathetic. I think that's just the nature of the beast. And then obviously, Killing bad guys or, you know, killing the enemy is not, it's not a big, big deal because you're, that's what you're there to do. I mean, that's our job. Um, It's more having your friends that are killed, you know, your teammates and then dealing with that. I think that definitely desensitized me more than anything um, to it because it was just, it's just a lot to take on while you're actually continuing to do the job. Yeah, I mean, is there any protocol for that? Like, obviously, as a as a SEAL, you have so much training physically, and um, obviously part of that is mentally, but is there any aspect of it that either, I guess, before or during regarding coping with that, or is it just, you just push right through that? Is it even part of the curriculum, if that's even the right word? Um, no, there's there's no real curriculum or set ways to deal with it. I mean, I think our community and the Naval Special Warfare community, they, they do their diligence to try. And um, I mean, the big thing is when once you lose a teammate or somebody from the community dies, that, you know, everybody wants to go to the funeral. Everybody does want to be there for that person's family. But because we are on such a fast paced job and you can't really take timeouts to go do that, but the community does do their best to try and get guys to the funerals, get guys around the family. But that's just one aspect, you know, and as far as dealing with it mentally, no, there's no protocol. Um, I mean, you can go talk to a psych uh, or a chaplain, but really, I mean, like I said, the job is going to keep going and you, I mean, the way I dealt with it and it's not the right way. It's just, I think the way a lot of guys deal with it is suppress it, 
you know, shove it down, use it for motivation to keep going over there and taking bad guys out. But there really is no like grieving process to where it's like, hey, take time to grieve and and to um, process like what's what's really happening here. You don't have time right. for any of that. So you're sort of just just like everything else, every other trauma that we face in that that community is you just push it down and keep moving forward. Um, and then obviously copious amounts of alcohol and everything else that just gets brought into the mix as well. Um, that's always there at funerals. So I think that's it's not the right. Again, I'll state that's not the right way to do it. That's just the way that um, our community has dealt with it over the years. Yeah, and once again, I don't. Most of the time, I, I like to preface things I say saying I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. But with you know all the effects that happens after being at war and you know being in a position like so many are, that seems to be it seems to be such a high correlation to suicide and mental health issues after someone comes back from war and, and experiences that. And I, I don't. That's I'm, that's not a, an unknown thing. And if everything's just being buried down and not handled, it's like. Is there a better way to to deal with that? Like I, I don't, you know what I mean. Like I don't, I don't know what the steps are. So it seems like everything's okay after the fact. They come back and then let's try to let's try to figure it out. As opposed to maybe there's something to do during it. But then again, like you said, it's so fast paced. No, like at the time, how can you think when you have a mission to accomplish? How do you even like? Why would you even contemplate that in the moment? You just push it back and deal with it later. Yeah. I mean, I've, believe me, I've done a lot of uh, thinking on this and, you know, talking to my friends like, hey, what what are some better ways, you know, not just our community, but the military as a whole can help people deal with a lot of the trauma that people have seen over the past 20 years, whether it be teammates dying or just, you know, death in general um, or having their teammates get blown up and hurt and maimed for life. And yeah, we I mean, there could be some steps put in place that people can go and like get help. But at the same time, where I'm a realist and I know that during that time, if you were to step out and be like, hey, I, I'm, I need to go get help. Well, they'll be like, OK, cool. You know, the train's going to keep going without you then. Um, and you're you're off to the wayside. Uh, so from coming from, you know, our community and the, being the way that we are, we're, we're we all have FOMO of, you know, we all want to be there on every op, be there right next to our brothers, mainly because we don't want any of our teammates getting killed again. And so, I mean, our thought process, if I'm there, I can prevent whatever from happening. So it's a, it's a difficult one, man. It's a difficult one to um, try and work through to, to like, okay, how can we get guys the help they need um, during this time so that when they do get out, they're not as jacked up or, you know, all the stuff that they push down now comes bubbling to the surface. And it does. That happens when you transition. It's just, uh, I think, you're, you know, you've pushed so much stuff down over 20 years, your body's like, all right, dude, we're, we can't take any more. Now you're going to have to deal with everything that you shoved down, um, which is a lot. And I think that does lead to depression, suicide, and a lot of the things that we've seen happen um, over the past five years, you know, especially with the suicide thing. So I think there's steps that can be put in place for when guys get out for sure. Um, mm. treatments, cause I've, I've gone through multiple treatments to try and just get myself back on track and, you know, be able to, uh, function in a way that I want to, uh, for my family. Uh, so it's, it's definitely doable, but it takes work on, on your part to go do it. Um, it's just not going to happen on its own. 
Yeah, there's so many there's so many layers to that. And so I wasn't expecting like uh, the answer, but it seems I figure that's something that is probably contemplated and there's someone in a position like you. So I, I, I sometimes do things backwards that probably could have started like this, but you, you said 20 years. Can you tell me a little bit about just a quick brief on the time you spent and, and exactly what, what areas you focus on and you know, a little bit about the time you spent over there? Sure. So, yeah, I mean, I, I joined in 1999, so um, pre-9-11, and then uh, I was with the Marines for four years. Uh, obviously, 9-11 happened during that time, so we uh, were as part of the invasion of Iraq. And then coming back from that, I went. I w- always wanted to be a SEAL, so I went and um, did the selection process, uh, passed, and ended up becoming a SEAL around 2004. And then from there, multiple deployments to Iraq and Afghanistan, uh, I think nine combat deployments total through my the rest of my 20-year career. And I, I say this, honestly, it was, it was a privilege each and every time I got to go over there. It's a privilege to go to war. Um, it's a privilege to have that experience. But there are repercussions that come from it. But that's pretty much was my whole career was nothing but going back to Afghanistan, Iraq. Um, until I retired in 2019. Right. And when you say the repercussions, I mean, obviously, I'm sure there's mental repercussions that we spoke about, but the repercussions, are you specifically referencing any specific one? Like, obviously, I, you know your story about, correct me if I'm wrong with, I don't want to butcher anything that's going on, but you were acquitted of war crimes, correct? Yeah. Uh, so my last deployment, I was, you know, charged uh, with war crimes. Uh, basically, they, they charged me with premeditated murder for killing an ISIS dude uh, with a knife. And I ended up having to go to a trial, court martial for that. I was uh, They incarcerated me for nine months before my trial. And then uh, at trial, I got found not guilty um, because it ended up being a big political stunt. Um, and I, they were just using me as a uh, as someone to you know hang out to dry or use as an example. So but it, it, you know everything worked out in the end. Um, I got found not guilty at trial, and that was mainly due to my wife and brother. Who, uh, once they locked me up, they stood up and started fighting back. Uh, my wife started a social media, organic social media campaign, putting out the truth about what was going on, and my brother did as well. He was knocking down doors at Congress, trying to get people to pay attention, which was uh, a lot harder to do. But um, because of their the effort that they put in trying to expose what was really going on. Um, the president at the time, uh, Trump, got involved. He actually is the one who let me out of prison so I could properly defend myself before trial, uh, which you would think that would be given to you. But uh, it's the Un- Uniform Code of Military Justice is a whole completely different legal system than the civilians, and they make it's very corrupt, um, and they make their own rules as they go. So we learned how to navigate through that. And then through that whole process, there's a lot that goes into this story. Um, I don't want to spend like too much time because it there. will literally take up the whole podcast. Uh, you know, I wrote the book, uh, The Man in the Arena. Everything's in there that happened. I mean, all and it's it is a very crazy story. But in the end, uh, I was found not guilty. And we actually it was a blessing because we got to start um, our nonprofit, the Pipe Hitter Foundation out of it. And what we do is, you know, we help active duty military, law enforcement, and first responders when they're put into situations like I was in, which you're being unjustly accused for doing your job. We raise money uh, for their legal funds. We also provide emergency relief aid to their families because that is very stressful when the government is coming after you uh, and the media. 
And then we will also advocate for those individuals if need be, um, whether it be through social media or the news uh, to get their stories out. Amazing. It's amazing that you flipped it into that. And it's, I mean, obviously, I know, cor- uh, you know, there's corruptness all over the place, but it's just interesting to see that you think it'd be in something like that. It's just mind blowing. Um, yeah. So, so in regards to your, your time over there, you know, you mentioned, obviously, you're, lo- it's, you're losing people that you're, your partners over there and people that are your brothers. Is there any specific memory that stood out the most? I'm not trying to, you know, categorize certain experiences because obviously they all have hold their own weight. But was there a first one or a certain experience over there of of losing a brother over there that stuck with you the most or kind of shifted your perspective on death or being out there and in life in general, if that makes sense? Uh, yeah, I mean, I do. There is a specific memory and I, I actually was not over there at the time that this happened. Uh, my uh, platoon that I was with, with the Marines. It was a 1st Battalion, 8th Marine sniper platoon. We came back from our deployment, and that's when I went to BUDS to become a SEAL, and they redeployed to uh, Fallujah. And so while I was in BUDS, I lost a really good friend of mine, uh, Nick Zokowski. He was killed by a counter-sniper. And we, we all, I think they, we lost like four or five other guys in that platoon. But Nick, Nick's hit me hard, and I, I was going through training at the time, and I was told, you know, what had happened, and it was a lot of, uh, a lot of shame, a lot of guilt I was feeling um, because I was pursuing what I wanted, and I definitely thought that I should have been there. So I had to deal with that while I was going through selection, and it sort of, I think, it was more anger than anything about what happened to him, and I sort of used that to drive me forward so I could get back over there. And that 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 was probably one of the biggest impacts um, on me. And then my first platoon in the SEAL teams, I live with uh, two of my best friends, uh, Aaron Vaughn and Brad Kavner, and they're both no longer with us either. You know, Aaron died in extortion 17, the helicopter crash, and then um, Brad died in a training accident. And, uh, you know, you get used to using their deaths as motivation to keep going and anger is really like the only emotion that i had towards anything which and i'm I'm saying this looking back now just seeing where where i could have done things differently or handled it differently but that's just the way i was handling it at the time where i i'd be pissed about what happened to them and then i'd want to go you know go back and get vengeance for what happened um but the the deaths you know losing teammates never stopped through the whole career so it Eventually, I mean, there's only once you use one emotion enough, it's like that anger was mine. All the other emotions go to the wayside. And what I found out when I got out is that's how I dealt with everything because I no longer had the ability to feel sadness, really happiness, any other emotion you can think of. I didn't know how to be those emotions. All I knew was anger and be like, and I thought that I was using that for good. But, you know, that's something I had to deal with after I got out. And it was like, yeah, anger is an emotion, but it's not the only emotion. Like you should learn how to use all your other emotions when, especially when the time calls for it, right? Like when your friend dies, you should grieve, be sad. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to like cry about it. It's okay to sit there and process it. But like I said, during the career, there was really no time for that. So I had developed this strategy and it wasn't the greatest one of just like, hey, okay, I lost another brother, like, let's get back over there. Um, And I didn't really take the time to process their deaths until I 
you know, 20 years later after I got out, then everything sort of hit me. Yeah, that's the fact. That's what's so fascinating to me because, like you said, there's, you know, grieving is a normal process and we all do it differently. We all feel different shit. And I think however you grieve is okay, but you guys have no time. Like, you know, the average person, quote unquote, will lose someone. They're in, they're in th- th- this world and they might not have time to grieve because they have kids, this or that, but you have no time because you're at fucking war and you're, yeah. and everything is so fast paced that, it just only makes sense, and it's, it sucks to say, but it only makes sense that it gets pushed back. Then all you guys are forced to deal with that shit later, and hopefully everyone can deal with it. But it just gets so bundled up that it, it freaks me out that some people just don't get the proper help and don't know how to let it out. You know, like it's a situation that so many people can't relate to, and it's easy to hear your story and be like, "Oh, that like how could you?" They, the anger of this, but that's the that's the only thing you knew at that time, right? It's like what what else could what else could you do? That's yeah. what you knew. That's what you did, knew then, and this is what you know now. Two different things. Yeah, exactly. This is, yeah, everything I'm saying, this is me, like, thinking back and which I've done since I got out and just thinking how how I could have done things differently. And that's just the nature of the beast, man. I mean, I and some people do deal with death differently, right? So, and that's what, you know, I said to you in the beginning of the podcast, like, death brings out the best and worst in people. And, you know, we see it every time we lose a teammate. You know, you you see the people that actually are there for the families and they're trying their best to do whatever they can to, you know, help the families out. And, but then you also see the other side where every people make it all about them and they're like, right. Oh no, this is, this is, I'm grieving and you should, you know, feel bad for me because he was, I was more of a friend to this person. It just gets so convoluted and disgusting um, where you just sort of learn to like numb that out and you're like, okay, I'm going to deal with it in this manner. And keep going forward. This is just a, a question that I just, I'm just curious at the, the psychology behind it. And I know you're, you're speaking with, I don't want to say as if two different people, but it's a, it's, you're in a totally different place in your life where you can reflect on these things. That's why, you know, it's, it's so interesting to hear those two things. And that's just, that's just life. You know, we look back at things and you see who you are then and who you are now, but you mentioned how anger was such a big emotion and finding vengeance. And did that get to a point where, like you, you said, it wasn't exactly always a good thing. Did it become reckless at a point where, because it's such a unique situation to be at war and you're, you have justification for taking someone's life in a sense. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, but you're still taking someone's life. So what, what is that? Do you remember, like, what is that feeling then? And what is that feeling now that the, I, I don't know, I didn't tell me exactly how many confirms you had. And I, that's regardless of what it was, do you recall the difference of what that felt like then to, looking back at taking someone's life today, not that you've taken someone's life today, but you know, looking back at it. Yeah. Like I I don't, it never got to a point where it was like reckless. Like we're, we're very calculated in how we do our targeting and then going out and doing our missions and how, how we're going to do things. And we always try, you know, mitigate risk um, because the the key is all of us want to come home. But I would say, I mean, looking at it back, I, I don't look at it much differently as far as how many people I killed and, the people that I killed, it, I don't think about it differently now than I did then. To me, I think people try and break down war um, and sit there and try and pontificate on like the different ethics and morality and like who's right and who's wrong. Well, I mean, once you've done it enough, it's it's to me, and this is my own perspective, it's like one of the simplest things you can do in life. I'm like, literally, there's two teams. One hates the other. Um and it's like, once you enter that game, 
it's like there's only one way out and that's death and uh, i don't care you know what age gender you are you pick up a rifle and you're on the other team then you've just joined the game sorry i don't think too much on it like oh these poor people that on the other side like maybe they were forced into it or this or that i'm like it it doesn't really matter um it it's like it, it happened and uh at least I got to go home and my teammates got to go home. Um, and that's, that's really the end state. I don't delve into it any more than that because I, I think you could, I think, and I think some people do, but to me, uh, those, most of those people that delve into it like that, I'm like, you've never even been to war. So you have no really idea what you're talking about. And once you go, I think everybody has this idea about war and how it should be. And it's like, until you get on that front line and bullets start whizzing past you, then things change real quick. And then it's like, okay, we're, we're getting out of here. They're not. Yeah. It's so easy on the sidelines. I mean, this is a terrible analogy, but it's like a, it's a terrible analogy, but like watching a sports game, it's so easy to talk shit on the athletes that are on the football field that are exactly. in, the, in the middle of a quote unquote, you know, football battle and talking show, why didn't he do that? Why didn't he throw the ball? The guy was wide open. Well, it's like, yeah, it's easy when you're sitting on your couch eating Doritos, watching Joe Burrow miss a pass, but it's like you have seconds to react and you're in a different game than anyone else. So I have a hard time, you know, of course I have my opinions on things, but I say, I don't, I don't, I don't know war. I only know it on the fucking TV yeah. and I, I barely believe 99% of the things that's on the TV. So I don't know. So for you to, you know, spit your perspective, that's your perspective, that's your experience and that's it. Yeah. And I guess it should happen. Like people should discuss the morality and ethics of war. And right. Of course. The reality is that war is an ugly thing. It's just a disgusting, ugly thing. And, you know, and I get it. Like you, the United States is always portrayed as like, you know, the moral police and the ethic police out of anybody else. Like, and I think that's, we've been portrayed that through movies that, you know, since World War One, Two, that you know we've grown up, grown up watching, and you always see it always portrays in the movies like the soldiers passing out candy bars to the kids, and like you know, oh, we're here to help. And there is that's a small aspect of what we're doing. What they don't show, which happened back in World War One, Two, Vietnam, is the amount of killing that we did to be able to help those children out. Um, and so, because America doesn't want to see that, but that's like the reality of war. It's like we don't, you don't win by handing out candy bars and soccer balls. Like you win by killing them and eliminating them. And that's just the hard truth that people don't, I think people don't want to either talk about it or it's just too much for them to handle. Definitely too much to handle. I mean, that would change the whole, it's a whole nother conversation. We have to go down the whole idea of, uh, you know, public support with war. But yeah, if we, if we saw, I feel like there's already been tons of shit, like you just mentioned in his history that has been leaked of, you know, what's really going on. In some aspect, obviously, we don't know a lot of it, but if if I think if we were exposed to the real numbers and real truth of sometimes the horrible shit of war, you know, I think the public would have a completely different persona on it. And I don't know if they want that specific viewpoint. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah, they don't. So there's, that's all calculated, as you said, and I'm sure that it's a whole little rabbit hole. Another question in regards to, I guess, your experiences at war, are you, what is your perspective towards death? In regards to like, do you have any, considering what you've gone through, is there any fear of, of going? Is, has that shifted at all now, you know, being out of it compared to where you currently were? Oh, for sure. I've, I've definitely shifted since I got out. While I was in, you know, you, you accept death. You accept that you are probably going to die doing this job. Um, and honestly, you're willing to die doing this job. I, you know, I was at a point where, and my wife, well, you know, she's, been with me the whole time and she knew she was like you would not stop 
until you ended up a name on a wall somewhere and you were dead. She's like, that's how you were. And so that, and I look back on it and that, that is exactly how I was. You, you know, before you leave for each deployment, you pretty much accept the fact that okay, I'm not coming back. Um, and I think I would do that for a sanity check too, because it's like, if I'm not over there giving hundred percent of myself for my teammates and ready to die, then I shouldn't be over there alongside them. Everyone should have that same belief. And then my perspective on death while I was in as well, when I, we'd, we'd lose family members, you know, just the norm, normal stuff that happens in life or just people outside the military that we knew that died. I made it was very hard for me to have any feelings about it where I, I knew, like take, for example, you know, my wife's mom died. She drowned um, oh. in 2017. Uh, it's a tragic accident, um, but we got the call. And, you know, my wife, I was like getting her on a flight to get back to uh, her house in Indiana. Um, but I remember sitting there thinking to my head, I was like, I should feel worse. I should feel a different way than I do right now. But I could not. I was just numb. Uh, and I was like, I was more like people die. That just this just happens because of I think I was in that space just because of the amount of death that you're around constantly. It just becomes normalized um, and you don't react to it in the way that other people do. And luckily, you know, my wife, she's a saint. She knew that she was like, he's too far <laughs> gone. I guess. Like, this is, you know, he's been around too much death. I mean, she she's just a very highly intelligent person, uh, a, lot, a lot smarter than I am. That's, that shows. That's amazing. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Have that. Uh, but now, you know, that definitely my perspective has changed since I've been out. I'm more worried about the future um, where, you know, I want to be here for my kids. I want. I'm more concerned just about the everyday dangers of of life. And I want to, you know, protect my family as best I can. So, yeah, um, now I'm I'm in the mindset of like, how can I live longer? (laughs) You know, like I'm ready to go. Yeah, I'm glad the scripts flipped a little bit there. And and that's part of, um, you know, that's part of the thing I, I I would love to, you know, quickly go over. We kind of mentioned already about you seeing it as possible to kind of transition back to quote unquote normal life because you came back desensitized. And I feel like that without having any experience that you had, that desensitization towards death affects all your other emotions. And then it affects the people around you. Like your, like, you know, like your wife, it's amazing how understanding she was, but she may be grieving. And I don't like to say this because there's no normal way of grieving because everyone grieves differently, but in a sense that of feeling certain emotions and you may not, then that affects the people around you, the way you handle those emotions. So it seems like you're, as you just explained, you're coming back to maybe feeling certain things. And I love to hear that because for anyone that's listening that had, you know, that is in the army, the Navy SEALs or whatever, have gone through combat that may not be there yet. What is that process? Uh, you know, I, I'm sure you have your own process, but what is the word to those guys that may be struggling right now after war? So for the people listening that are having a hard time, first off, there's nothing wrong with you. What you're going through is not unnormal. It's normal. You have to realize that first. Human beings aren't meant to see what a lot of us saw over the past 20 years. They're not meant to see that much death and that, that much trauma. So yes, there, there are repercussions to seeing that, but they're not unnormal. Like these are normal things. So don't feel shame that you're having trouble. 
don't feel like you're not good enough, um, that you're not tough enough or whatever, the toughest thing you can do is go ask for help. Go seek help. Go seek to make yourself better. You know, it took me a little while. And, you know, I, I finally realized when I was home because I had never been home for a extended period of time my whole career. I think I was home for a month at the longest before I would take off again. Um, and it took me, you know, I was home for about six months and I saw the impact that I was having on my family, on my friends, because I wasn't dealing with all my issues. I was trying to hold them in and they were coming out in other ways where, you know, and I wasn't like raging or doing anything crazy. It was more just the the vibe I was putting off. And I think my family, you know, I think my daughter one time, this was like a huge turning point for me is right after I got out, she, she was 16 and she was like, I don't even want to be around you because you're, there's something wrong with you. Like you're, you seem depressed all the time. And that's was like a light bulb switch to me. I was like, that's it. Like I have to like do something I can't because, you know, for most of us, yeah, I could go on forever being miserable. I can I just, we're trained to that. It's like, I can just keep riding this out or I can elevate myself, go get help and become a better individual for my friends and family. And that's what I say to people like, take that step into getting help. First, go talk to somebody. Find, it doesn't matter if it's a friend or a specialist, just getting out verbally what you're holding in is going to help you out a big time. But then there's all these, I mean, there's all these treatments out there for, for individuals now, whether it's uh, HBOT, you know, hyperbaric oxygen therapy, psychedelics is a huge one now, um, which I'm a huge proponent of. Um, I think that's done massive, massive uh, impact on our community and, and helping guys get out of that depression and struggle. But then, you know, there's, there's also, you know, other things uh, where making sure you get together with individuals like yourselves going on trip, like a hunting trip or something to just like get you out of the society and just so you can go hang out with your buddies and actually while you're there, talk about your issues. I think being vulnerable is a huge thing. I think that's a lot, it's a lot uh, easier said than done for guys from our community or and guy, guys and girls from our community. You know, it's, but I, the more vulnerable you are, the more authentic you are, the better off you're going to be. Um, stop trying to push stuff down and be something that you're not. Like, I get it. You had to do that during your career. You had to sort of hold up this shield like, hey, I'm unbreakable. You don't have to be like that after you're out. Um, it's, it actually it takes a lot more strength to let down that shield and be like, Hey, these are my issues and I want to deal with them and I want to make myself better. And, you know, I tell guys before they get out, I got a lot of buddies that are still in um, and they're coming up on their time to about get out. And I, I tell them, I'm like, you need to be prepared for the hardships that are coming your way. Cause I think everyone thinks, Oh, I'm going to get out and everything's going to be great. It's like, no, everybody deals with stuff. I don't care what background you have or, you know, who you are as a person, you will deal with some struggles uh, when you get out. And that, you know, I'm the big thing for me is and I'm a huge person of faith is I put God at the forefront of everything. I talk to him every morning. I tell him, you know, I ask him to help me get through the day to keep, you know, the depression, anxiety, all the stuff that comes with the repercussions of doing our job. Um, I'm like, hey, just help me keep those at bay. Help me deal with those when they come up out of anything, out of any treatment I've done, that's been the most helpful for sure.
Amazing. And it's so it's so it's so crazy how you know how battle hardened, you know, someone like you and your and your brothers are. And when you say, you know, the the bravest, most courageous thing is to let that da- let that guard down, that vulnerability. You think it, you know, yep. th- you think it'd kind of be the flip side, you know, on paper, but it's so much harder. I'm not gonna say so much harder because I don't know, but I'm saying it, it's interesting to hear you say how much, you know, courage it takes to let that down because especially the way you were trained and it doesn't matter if to me if whether you know you've been a, a war veteran or not it, it's it, what you guys have gone through you're like the epitome of having to tough things out and hold and almost train to hold it in and deal with it later that can be kind of cascaded down to anyone that's going through anything and the importance of being vulnerable and the importance of talking shit out because that really fucking matters and you know to the all the way down to the mother who lost her husband has kids and has to you know stay strong for her children she's got to let things out, you know, and, and the good, sure. goes such, it goes such a long way. And I don't know if it's our society or just survival instinct to, to keep pushing forward as great as that is, but it is so important to let it out. And in your community, yeah, I don't know if it's, I don't want to say it's not, it's looked down upon, but like, yeah, you are trained and to hold that shit in and be strong, but being yeah, strong is letting that shit go. You know what I mean? Like that yeah. strong, that strong is, is as two sides to the coin. There's, there's several, I think there's words that are synonymous to what strength is. And I agree that letting that shit out is an incredible amount of strength. Yeah. There is times to be stoic and not to right. show emotion, right? Like those are like when you're going through those hard times, whatever you're facing, that when that trauma is happening to you at the time, I do, I do believe in being stoic and being like, okay, I'm going to deal with this trauma as it's happening to me to get through it. But then afterwards, once you get through it, you should then let that armor down be like, okay, dude, this did have an impact on me. How am I going to deal with this so I can better myself so it's not sticking with me? Um, and I think yeah. that's the hard balance people have. And I, I say, you know, and I know we're, you know, we're talking about the veteran community and everything. This applies to everybody. Um, and I, I really think the veteran community is blessed in a way to go through everything that we've gone through. And, you know, when you retire, it's like you, you're having to deal with everything right then. It's like, here it is. So it sort of forces us to deal with it. And I mean, I, I know a lot more people now, a lot of guys that I was in who, I mean, they're straight killers. I mean, some of the toughest, you know, dudes that I've known that have probably stacked more bodies than anybody else. They are like the most kindless, gentlest human beings now because they're like, dude, I'm just trying to be a better person inside. And and it doesn't mean that they're weak. They're still that same individual. They've just grown on another level. And that's, I think that's where everybody should try and do. Not, doesn't matter if you're a veteran or not. Everybody experiences trauma. It's, it's, and your trauma is no different than our, my trauma or anybody else's trauma is trauma. It's, it, it hits everybody differently. You know, so I, I'm like, yes, definitely, you know, be stoic while you're going through that trauma, but then allow yourself time to process it afterwards and talk it out and then grow from it. Anytime you are faced with an adverse situation and you are able to overcome it, if you are not growing from that situation, then you've just wasted your time. You know, my favorite quote ever, and I repeated this to myself while I was locked up for nine months, facing I was facing life in prison without parole. I mean, that was a very difficult time, a very difficult thing to deal with. But I was like, my quote was like, this pain will serve you well someday. And that's with anybody across the board. That's, I mean, it will. Hey, pain is there for a reason. And that's to help mm-hmm. you grow. But you have to grow from it. You can't just 
get over that obstacle and be like, well, that's it. Like, hopefully that doesn't happen again. Like, no, it, it will. Something else will happen again. But if you don't choose to grow from that pain and from that obstacle, you're going to have just as hard time the next time something does happen. Oh, shit. You just made me super fucking emotional right there. Because it's so true. Because in the moment when you're going through that pain, it's so hard to comprehend that. You know, because all you feel is the pain. Like, this is my new normal. And to have the foresight and belief. I think it, it also, you know, you've gone through pain. You've gone through some shit. So, and the hardest thing you've ever gone through is the hardest thing you've ever gone through. So in relation, like, you know, that trauma is trauma. That's what my thought was. But when you're in the middle of something, that seems that seems like that's it. But to have that wisdom to know that this pain will serve me well is such a beautiful thing to say because it gives you power in some sense, you know, like, because that's your choice to see it that way. Because you can easily flip it like this pain will fuck me up later. And if you believe that, then you're wasting your time with, you know, the, not wasting your time, but you're not handling the trauma. It keeps you out of having a victim mentality, which is, I, I think, has plagued our society big time where everybody, it seems to be like, how can I make myself the biggest victim in this situation, mm-hmm. which is the complete opposite mindset I think people should have. I'm like, you should be doing everything to not become a victim, to let people know like, yeah, this happened to me, but I'm not going to be a victim to this circumstance. I am going to grow from it. And then I'm going to help other people who are in that position because I, just because you got through something, that's another thing. If you're able to overcome an obstacle or overcome an adverse situation, you should be passing that knowledge off to other people mm-hmm. because everybody else is going through hardships too. So you'd be like, Hey, this is how I dealt with it. This is how, what got me through. Um, this is the mindset I had. And I mean, if you're not, if you're not helping others, then you're wasting your time. Mm, love that. And, you know, I think there's a, especially in today's conversation, there's a battle between people that are like kind of justifying being a victim and some not. Like, I think it's clear in life. Some people start on third base. Some people start on first base. That's clear. I think some people come up in certain situations, but if you can get out of your, it's for you, it's not for anyone else. If you get out of that victim mentality, it's only going to benefit you and it's only going to propel you further. I think I'm well, not easier, but that mentality switch is the answer. That's why I love your quote of saying, you know, the quote you've repeated to yourself, that pain, this pain will serve me someday. And that makes it, I think that just made me feel with the shit I'm dealing with, which is nothing, but like it, it, it's a good reminder. And so for anyone that feeling that pain right now, if you have the perspective that it will serve you, because it's going to, it's, we're all learning, we're learning as we go. Right. So I fucking yeah. love that. That was just person. That was selfishly helpful. So thank you. Um, oh, no, good. Yeah. Well, that's, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So I appreciate that. Eddie, um, I guess I want to be respectful for your time, but I, you know, I, I feel like this could be a much longer conversation and I do appreciate you hopping on here. I personally am interested in talking to more people in your position because it's so far removed from my life. And so I'm just interested in the psychology behind and what you've gone through and how it affects you and helping people that are in that are struggling right now. Because I think what what you've explained can apply to so many people, whether, you know, you've been to war or not. So if you just say yeah, it that good. way. So I want to, I want to thank you for being here. And if there's, Anything I want, if you want to plug again, I'll, I'll drop anything. I know your foundation or books or anything you got going on. Is there anything you want to mic drop right now? Sure. I mean, I'll, I mean, definitely our foundation, the Pipe Hitter Foundation. Go on the pipehitterfoundation.org. You can go ahead and look up all the individuals that we've helped over the past three years. It's just been a big blessing. Um, and if you know, you can contribute in any way, we're always thankful for that. And then I, I actually started a podcast with my buddy here, Dave Fields, called Shoot Me Straight. Seems to be sort of similar to what you're doing, uh, which I think is awesome, where I, you're, I'm, our focus is on talking to people who have been through adverse situations, uh, got through them, and then just sort of pulling how they got that through those, through those adverse situations and 
hopefully the listeners will help them out as well. I, I really do. I, I, I love what you're doing, brother. Like, I think it, it needs to be talked about more. I think it's uncomfortable for people sometimes, but that's usually if it's uncomfortable. That means you should, should be doing it. So really, really awesome what you're doing, man. I appreciate it, man. I'm, this, this show is nothing without, you know, you sit on the other side. So I do, I appreciate you being here. And, uh, I love that. Yeah. If it's, if it's not uncomfortable, you shouldn't be doing it. Everything's fucked up. That's why I, I, I'm not even comfortable sitting right now. So I think I'm doing something <laughs> right. But, uh, Eddie, Eddie Gallagher, thank you again, guys. And thanks for tuning in to another episode of dead talks. And, uh, until next time.